Welcome to Restart Radio. I'm Dave Pickering and I make a monthly podcast for the Restart Project. The Restart Project is a London-based charity and social enterprise whose mission is to spark reflection and change in our relationship with gadgets. In this month's episode of the Restart Project podcast, I'm handing over hosting and reporting duties to Restart's communications producer, Holly Davies. At the beginning of October, fixers, thinkers and activists from across the globe gathered in Brussels for FixFest 2022. While we were there, we wanted to take advantage of this special opportunity to share ideas and collaborate in person. I talked to six attendees from different parts of the world about the state of repair now and what they hope for the future. Um, Claire Seek from Repair Cafe Portsmouth. This is my first Fix Fest, which I'm very excited about in person. And I have come to get inspiration from other ideas to add more to my to-do list. <laughs> Hello, my name is Melina Scioli, and I'm one of the co-founders of Club de Reparadores, which is a repair movement based in Buenos Aires, Argentina, but we really try to promote repair around the region. Coming to Fix Fest is truly a really good experience to connect to the global state of the art of community repair, and it is an opportunity to see to what extent we share challenges and we can share as well either solutions or strategies, and so it's lovely to connect with people and projects in this space. My name is Nathan Proctor. Uh, I'm the senior right to repair campaign director for a U.S. NGO called the Public Interest Research Group, or PERG. I'm here because I love to connect with people around the world who are pushing repair forward in all the ways that repair is gaining momentum around the globe. My name is Purna Sarkar, and I come from Repair Cafe Bengaluru Foundation, and I enjoy repairing things. I'm convinced that by repairing things, we can save our environment. And this is the motivation for me to come and attend FixFest. My name's Leanne Wiseman. I'm a professor of intellectual property law at Griffith University in Australia. And I've been fortunate enough to come to FixFest on a research tour of Europe about the right to repair. And it's been a fantastic opportunity to network with so many different people interested in the right to repair and the grassroots repair movement as well. My name is Mike Kavanagh. I live in Pavia, south of Milan, and I set up Repair Cafe Pavia. So I'm here basically representing my community, my group of repairers. I'm Matthew Lubari from Rhinocom Refugee Settlement in Uganda, and I'm a fixer, maker, and an advocate for repair and reuse. Our theme for Repair Day 2022 was Repair Everywhere. What does Repair Everywhere mean to you? Repair Everywhere really means caring about things, right? It's like trying to promote a caring culture and having kind of a mindset of putting attention and care into solving problems. There's a lot at play when we try to fix something. It's like you need some knowledge, you need creativity, you need patience, you need curiosity as well. And so I think repair everywhere has to do with a, with a mindset to fix things in general. Repair everyone, you know, means a lot to me because to me repair is not meant, you know, for a specific place, but it can happen anywhere in the village, in the city, in the developed places, under developed countries. So 
it has no boundary repair everywhere means to me that repair is something which is part of our life because uh, we do maintenance of things we take care of our home and everything around us deserves at least a uh, couple of repairs you know it needs a chance to survive so i i see myself repairing things every day every time my mind is moving around i don't want to throw away things just like that i think for me it's kind of an aspiration there is the practicality that obviously in theory you could repair everywhere but that our culture today doesn't actually see that so i'd like it that people did recognize that you can repair everywhere and in all stages of your day or location but just having that belief that you could maybe repair something well repair everywhere to me really just validates the fact that repair is happening everywhere around the world but also in our homes in our schools in our communities it's really by necessity that um repair is happening with clothing with our devices with our machines in our businesses in our industries because as covid really has reinforced we can't rely upon supply chain to get access to technicians or spare parts with the increase use of technology locks on all our, of our devices it's really essential that repair is looked at everywhere across all industries whether it's in farming or agriculture or motor vehicle because really we need to keep our things in use for longer the e-waste crisis is ever increasing and it's just not possible for us to continue to consume at the level that we're consuming that is really why repair needs to be in our culture and in our children in our communities and in our industries and businesses as well. Repair everywhere means a few things to me. On the first level, it means getting repair culture embedded into every space basically, like in the home, in the workspace, in universities, in schools and, you know, even in prisons. So that's on the first level, repair everywhere. I kind of have a vision of repair being as easily accessible as recycling systems. On the next level in Italy we have more or less 30 kind of repair groups and I settle network but I would like to see the map of Italy covered in repair groups. I would say that when I hear repair everywhere I think about that our principle our our goals and our values are really about unleashing repair in every way it can be unleashed it doesn't just mean having programs that work if you happen to be in a big city and you have access to certain kinds of repair services or if you have the budget to pay for some high level stuff it it means finding a way to make sure the most stuff happens around repair the most stuff gets fixed and that means having a very pragmatic view about how stuff gets fixed and why it doesn't get fixed and addressing those challenges head on. We're based in the UK and the cost of living crisis has been in the news a lot lately. How do you see the increasing cost of living impacting repair culture where you live? So I'm from the UK where as I say repair is not a sort of default option it's not in our natural order of something breaks Oh, I must try and repair it. I'm hoping that the cost of living crisis will help people maybe add that to their thoughts. I'd also like it to be an opportunity where maybe the government rethinks things such as VAT and the tax on repair, and it might be an opportunity for us to get them to reconsider that so that repairing becomes more affordable. On the ground where I am, 
up to now, I don't see any particular change because in Italy, as we've seen by the, the results of the last election, there are a lot of difficulties. There are people who are, you know, really struggling, have been for 20 years. But where I live, it's a relatively affluent area. It's a university town. But I can see that in time, it will have an impact. And there will be more people coming to us. They're now coming because they're curious. They're coming because something broke and they can't fix it themselves. But we'll get more people coming out of necessity. You know, they can't afford to go and pay somebody to repair it. They can't afford to go and buy another one. But in general, I think that the cost of living crisis, the impact it will have in every community is more people with mental health problems. So in the same way that the Men's Shed organization has dealt with kind of mental health issues, I think repair groups can serve the same function. We attract a lot of, you know, recent migrants, people who want to try and fit in. So we're creating community and I think that we have a really big role to play if there are people who are struggling and want to feel empowered, want to feel that they matter. I think that's an interesting question. One, I do think that the increased cost of living as an external factor could make uh, repair more attractive. But I also think that, I mean, I'm only 40 years old, but the quality of like standard quality of life increases I've seen in my lifetime have been absurd, right? People have so much more capacity to buy clothes that they like and electronics that they think are neat. You know, and this is not just true where I live, like the difference in the whole world and how much buying power people have. And my long view is still like, wow, people have more capacity to buy new stuff, even in like uh, this economic cinching than they did when I was a kid. My first family computer, my mom made a huge sacrifice to buy it because she thought, oh, if I buy a computer, my kids will get good jobs or whatever. And it was more than the cost of a used car, for sure, and almost the cost of a new car. So I'm looking at this and I say, yes, I think that repair will become more attractive. But I also think that our challenge really has to be realistic that just given the economics, people have the power to choose to kill the planet in ways that they just didn't previous generations. People are making thousand-year decisions about the future of humanity all the time because the plastics that we use and the other minerals that we're mining to make this stuff have such a lasting impact. So I think our focus needs to be beyond what the short-term e economics are. We have to get people to have that long-term perspective. I honestly think that increasing the cost of life has nothing to do with repair. People may say that, okay, there are poor people who will repair things and then they will save their cost of life. But these two things are different. Repairing things meaning you have to keep the things up, you are using it, you are not throwing away, you are not creating a landfill for the environment. And of course, cost of living is increasing day by day. And when I go to buy anything new, I think twice, thrice, and I don't shy away paying a higher amount if the product is repairable. So my focus is if the product is repairable, if the product has spares available in the market, then I would like to invest a thing. I think I'll continue with what I have. And this is a message which I spread around me also. And I think organizing a repair cafe, Bengaluru has helped me clearing out this prospect in my life and I've taken it as an objective. The increased cost of living, you know, affects the repair culture a lot. If people who are doing repair is not supported, for example, there might be someone who cannot afford to fix what he or she has. So having repair 
places where people come together and fix things and learn. It helps a lot. I think that just really reinforces the need for us to keep our goods in use for longer. It's so much more expensive to purchase goods these days, but also to access spare parts or the services that we need to repair. It's challenging on a daily basis for people to keep basic devices in their home, like their washing machine and their fridges. And these are functional items. We buy them thinking that they should last a decade, perhaps, or seven to 10 years. And this is why I think people are prepared to invest the money if they're able to know that those devices or machines are going to last for longer. Really shows the role that perhaps the French Repairability Index plays in informing consumers about which product is better to buy if you can actually access repair and service information so that you can keep that product in use for longer and it's a cost saving to the society overall. Coming from a city as Buenos Aires but more so like living in a region as Latin America where the cost of living in comparison to the income in general it's quite challenging. I think that we have a more so of a conscious regarding repair as a way of saving money. I hope that this kind of uh, new conscious that uh, cities or countries of the global north that are now experiencing higher rates of inflation and higher costs of living, we all in general can have a better conscious of what it actually implies to have the throwaway society that we are currently living in. And this becomes an opportunity to rethink the way we relate to resources, avoid consumption, and take up the strategy of repair as something like an everyday practice. Can you tell us a bit about where right to repair is in your country and where you would like to see repair in the next 10 years? The right to repair movement in my country, you know, people still don't know about it. And I'm so happy that I am able, you know, to know a little bit about the right to repair. And that's why I am happy to be attending the FixFest event here in Brussels, Belgium, where I met a couple of people from policymakers, thinkers, repairers, discussing issues around the right to repair, which is something very important and had you know opened up my mind and i was like i'm going to be the first person to be advocating for the right to repair and i go back to my country because in africa repair has not been taken as a serious business people are still after infrastructural development like putting up houses forgetting the things that needed to be repaired so I'm not sure right to repair is, <laughs> in our, certainly not particularly in our policies or country. And since Brexit, we follow behind what happens in the EU and try and make sure that our governments will adopt that too. In the UK in the next 10 years, I would like repair to just be much more commonplace, whether that's in individuals' lives in we've just been talking about educational places, people thinking about how to design things so that they are repairable, our children thinking I could prepare something and thinking that might be something they could take forward. And I really want it to be part of our response to the climate emergency. So it's not just, you know, reducing oil and thinking about travel, but it's about actually reducing consumption is the main thing. So being able to repair is a way to, to naturally reduce consumption, but kind of getting that message out. Right to repair as a policy in itself in my country, Argentina, but I think I can speak about the region, is really 
far away right now. We know that around 80% of the environmental impact of a product comes down to the design phase. We're really not getting into intervening in that moment of the production process. So what I would expect like in the next 10 years is to have better policy that can actually assure that manufacturers are responsible for the whole life cycle of their products and they can actually fund the taking care and managing the waste. But more importantly, I want to see how design evolves. I want to see how innovations appear that actually offer us better products or better services to live sort of a wasteless life. <laughs> My country is called Hindustan. And in my place, we have a culture of repair that is part of our civilization. Because in our homes, we have no concept of waste and we reuse things. I think this culture of repair and reuse is going to stay and not fade away with time. But maybe people think that they have an alternative means and can buy new things. I think this culture is going to stay. We have recently had the benefit of our Australian Productivity Commission conduct a national inquiry into what a right to repair would look like for Australia. So we are lucky in that we have a whole host of recommendations that our new government can potentially look at for implementing or trying to reduce really the barriers to repairability that are currently present. For example, Australia on the 1st of July this year in 2022, we have our first right to repair law. What this really new law will mean is that manufacturers of motor vehicles will be required to share on a mandatory basis the repair and diagnostic information with independent repairers. So this really lays the groundwork in Australia for what a right to repair law could look like, not only for the motor vehicle aftermarket, which is a very significant market in Australia, but also for our agricultural machinery market that experiences similar. The Productivity Commission also recognised a whole range of recommendations around improvements in our consumer rights and consumer laws to make sure that consumers are better educated about their ability under commercial warranties, but also under their consumer rights to return goods or to get access to repair of those goods rather than to get replacement. We held our first Australian Repair Summit in July 2021 to bring together both government and industry and also the repair community in Australia to try and open an engaging dialogue around all of these issues, not only the intellectual property barriers to repair, but the consumer aspects and the competition aspects of repair. And from that, we actually developed an Australian Repair Network, which is now a strong interest group representing a whole range of industry sectors who are interested in pushing the right to repair further. So what we're hoping for in the future is our government to take a good look at 
our new data sharing law in motor vehicles and see how that can apply to new industries, but also at the same time look at reviews to our intellectual property laws, particularly copyright law, because that's really an area that's been recognised that that's hampering access to repair information and also the issue of spare parts as well. So there's recommendations around reform to our intellectual property laws, but also our consumer and competition laws to to rebalance the relationship between manufacturers and consumers to make sure that consumers who buy and own goods have the ability to keep those goods in operation and to repair those really for the betterment of society. And that's really our 10-year goal in Australia is to see those recommendations taken up and that we also look to the EU and the US and take on board regulatory developments and grassroots movements around the right to repair that we can take lessons from in Australia. Where would I like to see repair in 10 years? So I'd like to see every community, every environment having some part of the repair culture embedded in there. And obviously I'd like to see the products that are produced being repairable and that there are no legal barriers to repair. And lastly, what I'd like to see is one of the biggest barriers I think we've I've identified anyway talking to people over the weekend is a kind of psychological barrier to repair because we've been basically brainwashed uh, since the 1960s. You know, people weren't buying new cars or, you know, fridges and things. The concept they came up with was to basically convince people to change their clothes seasonally, you know, change their car seasonally, um, buy new products up in built obsolescence and, and fashion changes, um, you know, impulsive buying because your friends have it. That's, they, they, they brainwashed everybody. So what we have to do is really kind of reverse that and kind of raise people's awareness of um, how repair can be a huge part of the solution in fighting climate change and being more resilient in a, in a time of massive crisis. Yeah, I mean, I feel like right to repair is an idea that's broken through and broken through all the defenses that are put up against things changing, especially things that challenge the corporate paradigm of, you know, making tons of money, whatever the cost. We've won some really critical public opinion battles, but we haven't settled what is the contract between government and manufacturers and consumers when it comes to repairability and durability of the products that we buy. And especially, what is the ecosystem that surrounds product repair? Like how can people access repair? What is it like to run a repair business? What are the other options? What's happening with DIY repair? Those questions are still unanswered. So we have, we have some of the goal and momentum of what we're trying to do out there, which is really exciting. But it's really critical in the next few years, I think, for us to establish new legal protections that really kind of make those rights indelible, force manufacturers to do something different. And then I think there's still a lot of work to be done about just getting people into the habit of fixing things. I often say, like, you can't expect people to fix things if they find out it's impossible to fix them. So we have to fix the impossible to fix problem before we will build this expectation of repair. But we still have more work to do to start to win hearts and minds and to start to change behaviors. In just these short interviews, we heard that repair everywhere is a mindset or an aspiration. For some, it's an affirmation of reality and a representation of where repair culture is already heading in their country. And for others, it means unleashing the potential of the communities, momentum and infrastructure that we have worked hard to build. The global future of repair 
involves an evolution of design, policy that supports repair being enshrined in law, fixing the impossible to fix problem, and overcoming the psychological barriers to repair that have been built over decades. What is the future of repair for you? I hope that hearing these perspectives can not only be motivating, but reassuring in our collective efforts to fight for the right to repair and to build a more resilient world. From doing these interviews, it was enlightening to hear the varied perspectives that we all gain from living with different governments, economies, cultures, and from our separate life experiences. We learned over the weekend that we sometimes have very distinct ways of wanting to tackle our shared challenges, but our end goal is the same. Restart Radio is a show aired on Resonance 104.4 FM and a monthly podcast uploaded to the Restart Project website and found wherever you get your podcasts. As with all episodes of Restart Radio, we'll include links with background information to all of the issues and stories discussed over at therestartproject.org where we've also set up a fundraiser. So if you've enjoyed this episode, do make sure that you donate there to help to fund the future of the podcast. The music that you've heard in today's episode was made with lasers and repurposed electronics and is a collaboration between Opto Noise and Cassini Sound. And now it's time to pack up the equipment and say goodbye to each other. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>